All right. Well, hey, good morning, everybody. I am glad that you are here. Let me remind you, if you can, to fill out your roll sheet at your table. Go ahead and find Ephesians chapter 4. And if you're not able to face me as you're seated, if you could turn your chair to face me, that'd be awesome, just so that we're all looking at each other, having a good time this morning. As you're finding Ephesians 4, let me kind of give you some introduction of where we're headed. Today, we're continuing Paul's charge to the church to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. We talked last week about um, being able to walk in a manner that honors the Lord, walking in unity with patience and humility. We got a lot of time in that, and that was a little intense, I think, and uh, part of that is by design, but part of that is I told some older students, um, disunity and divisiveness and factiousness is like, uh, it's like an infection. And if we don't root it out and kill it, it will spread. And, uh, and so I, I have just a great heart that you would, and a great desire that you would put those things to death in your life now. But Paul is going to introduce uh, a contrast to us this morning. We've talked about walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. He's going to begin this section by talking about walking in the way that the Gentiles do. So we're going to see that, that contrast again. Verse 17, if, you, if you're in Ephesians 4, verse 17 is the kind of the, the thesis statement, the big idea of where we're headed. So just look with me at verse 17 very quickly. He says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. So he says clearly that the mind of a Gentile, or in this case, the mind of an unbeliever, that's what he means when he uses that word Gentile, is futile, futile. It's aimless. It's hopeless. So we as believers, Paul says, we must not walk in this way anymore. We must not live this way anymore. So this morning, as we walk through our passage, we're going to see what futility looks like, how Christ transforms our minds, and then what this transformation and commitment looks like day to day. As Paul writes this for us, he's going to use a, a different but compatible illustration, the, the idea of putting off and putting on, putting off the old self, putting on the new self. And that's the title of our message this morning, putting off, putting on. We're to put off the old self that all of us have and instead put on the new self, this new creation that's in Christ Jesus. In other words, day by day, our growing into Christ-likeness, our conforming to look like Jesus is not just theory. It's not just informational. It's practical. It's active. It's, it's visible. It's tangible. It's a habit that is a life fueled by grace. So that's where we're headed this morning. Join me in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 18, and we'll dive in. They, that is the mind of Gentiles, minds of Gentiles, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Let's pray before we go any further. Oh God in heaven, we pray that in our time together this morning, you might show yourself as glorious and good, as holy and righteous, as mighty, as gracious and kind. And I pray that as we study your word this morning, we as the people of God, we would be reminded and encouraged 
once again, to put off the old self, to not walk in the way of the Gentiles, to not walk in the way of unbelief, but instead to learn from Christ and to learn Christ and to put on the new self created in his image in true holiness and righteousness. Help us to do these things for your glory as your church. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you're taking notes this morning, the first section we're going to be in is the futility of an unbelieving mind. The futility of an unbelieving mind. We all were this way at some point in our lives because we all live in a fallen world. It's broken and stained with sin. And because of that, both the creation and the creatures are disordered. They're broken. Our desires, our thoughts, our actions are all skewed because of sin. They're all warped because of sin. And Paul needs to see and show us where we came from. He needs to show us where we came from. So he describes this futility, this hopelessness and aimlessness of a mind that has not been illuminated by the gospel of Jesus. So uh, there's a quote on the screen. A guy named Ian Hamilton says this. He says, how you think determines how you behave. And what you think inevitably shapes how you live. So Hamilton reading this text and Paul giving us this text, and I think the Spirit who inspires this text, wants us to know this truth. How I think is going to determine how I behave. So if I'm thinking right things, if I'm thinking true and honorable and just and good things, whatever's noble, whatever's pure, it's going to lead me to live a certain way. And what I think about inevitably is going to shape how I live as well. If I let my mind wander and dwell on things that are not pleasing to God, then I shouldn't be surprised when the practices of my life end up being not pleasing to God. It's not all that we are, but our minds are massively important. So we need to get where we were before Christ so that we might rightly move towards holiness and righteousness and away from futility. So first, in your text this morning, verse 18, we see that a futile mind has a darkened understanding. The heavens really do declare the glory of God, and the skies above proclaim His handiwork. The gospel really is the best news in the world, and all around us, God's glory is really on display. But so many minds do not see it, do not hear it, do not understand it. It's not that those things aren't there, it's just that they're blind. Their minds are darkened, and so they pass over or fail to receive or even mock as foolishness the truth of the gospel. So when people belittle or overlook or fail to see, truly see God and his works, it is due to this reality. Their minds are darkened. It's spiritual blindness. They cannot see the glory of the gospel of Christ, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So as believers, we realize that the corrective is the word. How we are corrected in this darkened state is the word. As we fix our eyes on the Lord in his word, the light of God overcomes the darkness. We're going to hear about this in uh, the, the morning service this morning. I'm really excited. Uh, Pastor Brian's going to be in John chapter 8 where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. So we're going to get more exposition on that 
later. But for now, we need to recognize that reading our Bibles, memorizing Scripture, studying, listening to preaching and teaching, these things are not merely disciplines required by Christians in order to check boxes that make us seem good. They are practices for vision correction. Right? They're, they're training our eyes, not our, not our physical eyes, but the eyes of our hearts, the eyes of our minds to see what is true about the world, what is true about God, what is true about his word. Second, a futile mind is not just darkened in its understanding, but it's alienated from the life of God. So, so these unbelieving minds are foreigners to God's life. They are distant. They are unknown. And, and why? Paul says, yes, because of ignorance... Yes, but it's also due to their hardness of heart. So there's ignorance because their minds are darkened, but there's also a hardness of heart. In other words, even if a futile mind could see, it would not want to see. Even if the blindness is just taken away, the heart that has that mind doesn't want to see. It's hostile to God and his truth. Instead, feudal minds want to be in charge. Feudal minds want to be in charge of their lives. They want to be in control. They don't want to submit to anyone. They want to believe that life and the good life is just whatever they think it is, whatever they decide it is. This is a kind of autonomy, a kind of independence, a kind of self-sufficiency that is peddled in our culture all the time, but is a lie. Because our hearts are fickle. Our hearts are sick. Our hearts are hard. Third, not only do the Gentile, this unbelieving mind, not only is it darkened in its understanding, Not only is it hardened in its heart, an alien, foreign to God's life. Third, it is callous. Look at verse 19. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So if any of you have gone to the gym for any amount of time, uh, you would know, especially if you use a, uh, a bar, like an Olympic bar to do like bench press or squats or whatever, that very quickly, right on the ends of your fingers, you will start to get calluses, right? You'll start to get these blisters that then will get harder over time because that bar is just wearing out your hand. Or uh, more, uh, not so much in the gym, but for me, um, if you ever play guitar or play a string instrument, the first couple of times you play it, it hurts because your fingers are so sensitive to those strings. And you thinking, I'm just going to hold on to this little string and press it up against a piece of wood. That's not going to be that big of a deal. But it gets so tender and so sensitive, and it hurts. But over time, your skin hardens and creates these calluses to where that thing that once affected you no longer affects you anymore. So now it's not a big deal if I play guitar, if you play guitar or play a stringed instrument for people who work out in the gym. It's no longer a big deal if you're holding that bar for a long time because you've developed these calluses to be able to sustain and be unaffected by those things that formerly did. So have that in mind when Paul says that an unbelieving mind is calloused because it's become calloused to the truth. What once would have caused some conviction no longer does in an unbelieving mind. 
What once would have pricked the conscience and demanded questions about what is good and what is evil, what is right, what is wrong, no longer has the effect it once did. So now a feudal mind doesn't merely wander into immorality. It doesn't stumble upon sin. It runs toward it. Paul says they've given themselves up. They've, they've volunteered, they've, they've placed themselves on the altar of sin, specifically sensuality, which is a desire to acquire pleasure through the senses. And not only have they given themselves up to this, it's not just a, a volunteering of this. Paul says in verse 19, they are greedy to practice impurity. Like they have a hunger Because of their calloused mind and heart, they have a hunger, a desire to run after their lusts, their arrogance, their lying, their hatred, their violence, their pride, and more. These things, if we're honest, feel good in a sense. When I lie and get away with it, when I uh, satisfy my cravings of lust, when I exert my arrogance over people, when I'm violent towards people that I think deserve it, there's a part of me, there's a part of you that likes it because all of us still have this old self that does not wander towards the things of God, but away from them. And so we want these things. So what a feudal mind needs then is nothing short of a miracle. If we were once feudal in our minds, we know of others now as well who are still in the futility of their minds. And they need what we need. They need the love of God. They need Jesus. They need his spirit to come and remove the calluses on their hearts and to give them new ones instead. They need God to move. They need God to do what is impossible for them to do on their own. So we see Paul continues in verse 20. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. So we move from the futility of our minds, of an unbelieving mind, which all of us had at one point, to second point, the school of Christ. The school of Christ. Our mission statement here at Lakeview Baptist Church is to love God and to express that love by making, nurturing, and equipping disciples of Jesus Christ in Auburn and throughout the world. So Fundamentally, the the core motivation for our existence as a church is to love God. We exist to love God. Now, we express that love in all those ways, but fundamentally, we love God. But as many people have said, and uh, writer and author Jen Wilkin has made very, very popular. You'll see this on the screen. The heart cannot love what the mind does not know. So if we exist to love God, then we're going to need to know who that God is in order to love him rightly. If we're to love God rightly, we must know him truly. And walking in the way of the Gentiles is not going to lead us to true knowledge about God. And as we'll get to in just a moment, if if our daily practice as Christians 
is to put off the old self, to put on the new self. And you and I are not in the habit of putting off the old self, then we should not be surprised if we're still carrying around false ideas and false beliefs about the God of Scripture. Because if we're still walking around in the futility of our minds, if we're still living out our lives, wandering after our own desires, then we're going to see the world and we're going to see God and we're going to see his truth skewed, warped. So walking in the way of the Gentiles is the opposite of walking in the knowledge of God. That's why Paul can be so emphatic here in verse 20. That's not the way you learned Christ, he says. And notice, he doesn't say they learned about Christ. Like Jesus is not a topic on an exam for you to master. No, the Ephesian believers learned Christ. So as we hear about Jesus and are taught in him, we come to know the truth is in Jesus. So those who know Christ and are led by the Spirit of Christ teach the truth. That's what I'm doing right now. That's what your table leaders do every Sunday. That's what your equipping group leaders do every Wednesday. That's what your parents do throughout the week. Those who have Christ and are filled with the Spirit of Christ, they teach Christ. And you receive Christ. But this school of transformation, where feudal minds are illuminated and reoriented to holiness and righteousness, does not merely include Christ. He's not like one thing on a list of a lot of other things. No, Paul says the truth is in him. He says that's not the way you learned Christ, he is everything. He's everything. Everything that we learn finds its, its point of gravity in Christ. Everything we learn about our faith is rooted and grounded in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Even the doctrine of the Trinity, which we have seen a lot in the, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, the Trinity is revealed to us as the Lord Jesus comes to us and says, I only do what the Father is telling me to do, and I'm going to send you the Spirit to be equipped to do what I tell you to do. Right? Like we understand the Trinity rightly when we understand Jesus. And our main means to know Christ, the ways that God has given you and me to know Christ, are twofold in our day to day lives. There are other ways, but there are two main ways word and church. Word and church. As we spend time in his word, and as we invest our lives as members of his body, we will come to know him. Now, we may learn lessons we did not set out to learn. Right? God may be teaching us things about Christ in ways that we don't expect. We may think that we're going to learn about service and love and joy and actually find out that we're going to learn a lot about suffering and patience. We're still learning Christ. It just may not be on our timetable or on our schedule. So what does this learning Christ look like? Again, this is not mere theory, but a day-to-day lived-out faith that grows and flourishes and produces fruit. So in the rest of our time, we're going to look at verses 22 through 24 and think about putting off and putting on. Let's read. To put off your old self, Paul says, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. 
So putting off, putting on. Paul gives us these two motions in the day-to-day, moment-by-moment life of all believers. You and I don't graduate from this. We are constantly in a state of putting off our old selves and putting on the new self. Like putting off the old self, the the terminus date for putting off the old self is when I see Jesus face to face. It's not like when I'm my dad's age. It's not like when I'm old enough to understand certain things that I don't understand now. I am constantly putting sin to death. I am constantly putting my desire to sin to death. I am constantly recognizing my own weaknesses and Jesus's strength. This is the regular habit of Christian living. We're doing both all the time. And it happens, Paul says, right in the middle of this passage, as we are renewed in the spirit of our minds. So renewal, reformation is taking place at a soul level as we practice these habits. So it's similar to what Paul says in Romans 1, or Romans 12, right? Verse 1, that we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So what does it mean to put off our old self? Practically, day to day, it means that we're habitually putting off old feudal ways of living to death. We're dying to our old selves. Our former manner of lives has been done away with. Because our former manner of life had us at the center of the universe. Everybody in the room needs to look at me. Everybody in this in this situation needs to have their eyes on me. Everybody in the room wants, needs to hear what I have to say. We put that to death. Or perhaps I only give my attention to people who can give something to me. So I only give my attention or my courtesy or my kindness to people who can actually give something to me rather than recognizing that, no, I've been called to love others as myself. Or perhaps we act in pride and arrogance towards others, inflating our true selves to a caricature that we think will be liked or respected or feared or loved or envied. We put that to death too. We no longer live according to the deceitful schemes of our hearts. Some of us even live as a victim in the old way of life, believing that people have it out for us personally all the time, that, that I am the victim of, of this story. I've, I've, I've located my identity and my story as a victim of somebody who's been taken advantage of, of somebody who isn't liked, who isn't respected, who isn't loved, who isn't cared for, and that's all I can think about so that I believe no one is ever for my good and everything that happens to me is, is something that's personal. So you take everything as someone's intention to hurt you or to hamper your goals. And it will lead to you living a life of bitterness and pain. Because you'll just be bitter. Because you'll believe the lie that people don't like you and people don't care for you and people have it out for you and people just want to harm you when in fact they may be telling you the truth because they love you. We are weak as broken people. 
And we may be victims in the sense that we are sinned against. But we are not victims of random circumstances. God is always at work. He is always doing something to mold us into the image of Christ. Another way of saying this is that we take up our cross. We take up our cross and we die to ourselves daily. We don't do this once and then we're done. No, the people around us and the circumstances in front of us will often entice the old self to rear its ugly head. And as soon as you think that you have found it, as soon as you think that you have made it, Paul says, be careful lest you fall. You start to think, man, I'm kind of nailing this being a Christian thing. I'm nice to everybody. I'm saying the right things. I'm being seen as a certain kind of person. Be careful. The old self will look for new ways to get what it wants. So we have to constantly be putting it to death. And instead, we put on the new self. And this happens as we're renewed in the spirit of our mind. So notice the practice of putting on the new self, informed by our learning Christ through the word in the church, comes alive. It renews us. It's effective as we put it into practice. Now, I know this is my tendency, so maybe it'll be helpful for you to hear too. I sometimes think that if I just learn the head knowledge about God or his word or some doctrine or some Christian idea or some practice, I am putting on the new self. As long as I learn it in my head, I am putting on the new self. And in a sense, that's definitely part of it, right? I mean, the heart cannot love what the mind does not know. I need to know. But the goal, the point, is not to have a robust set of facts that I can spit out. The goal is to love God and to live a life that honors God and displays to the world that I love God. And that's active. So as we live out the Christian life, practicing the disciplines of Christians, like reading our Bibles and praying and sharing our faith and more, we are putting on the new self. As we practice being new creations, we are growing in conformity to the one that we were made after. As we display and produce the fruit of the Spirit, we're putting on the new self. So maybe that person in the youth group or that person in your class that gets on your nerves is there again, nagging you, annoying you, just their existence is frustrating to you at times. Maybe that's the case, not so that you will be annoyed and frustrated, which will tempt you to respond as the old self. But maybe it's instead to cultivate patience and self-control and even love for that person and compassion for that person. You see the difference? The circumstances of your life, the circumstances of your life are not there by God to tempt you towards sin and failure. They are there to call you to holiness and righteousness. Now, the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, ever living to steal, kill, and destroy. And so he will try to distort and pervert all of the circumstances of your life to say, see, don't you deserve that sinful desire that you want? 
Look at all these things happening. Doesn't, doesn't it, wouldn't it feel good right now to, to do the wrong thing instead of the right thing? In fact, if you listen to me, I'll make you convinced that the wrong thing is the right thing. That is not why these circumstances are in your life. When we consider others more important than ourselves, listening to them when they speak, not like listening to somebody and then having in your mind a conversation about how you're going to respond to make yourself smarter than them or answer them before they can even ask the question, but like actually listening to what they have to say or encouraging them, unprovoked even, or praying for them or serving them. As we do these things, as we consider others more important than ourselves, we are putting on the new self. In other words, we are showing our love for God as we love others. So do you want me to see that you love God? Do you want others in your life to see that you love God? Show me how you love people. How do you love other people? And not just people that you like. Or people who are easy to be around. Or people who always agree with you. Or the people who never challenge you. That's easy. As we practice this love for God and others day by day. Dying to our old selves. Putting on the new self. We will begin to look like we are. As Paul says. Created after the likeness of God. In true righteousness and holiness. That's what I want for myself. And that's what I want for you. I got I want your life to be an expression, a display of God's righteousness, of God's holiness, so that we might look at you, so that I might look at you, so the world might look at you, so that angels might look at you and say, isn't God amazing? Because he took what was once futile and darkened and calloused and turned it into that. It's a miracle. And every moment that we continue to display his image, it's a miracle. If we were made to be God's image bearers and reflect his glory, then I want us to look like God. I want us to display both righteousness and holiness. And we do that as we put off the old self. We put to death the old ways We don't live in blindness anymore. We don't live as though we're the most important thing in the universe. But we live as we were created. Putting on the new self. Walking in humility. Loving God. Loving others. So I want to pray for you. We'll spend some time discussing this in our groups. Let's pray.